the weirdest band ever right here. Um, <laughs> we are excited to have PJ join officially the, the elder team as we uh, look forward to continuing forward what God's called us to do here as a church family. So really looking forward to that, really grateful for him, uh, his, his influence, uh, his wisdom in the room. It has already uh, been demonstrated. So um, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. So hey, take your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 2 with me. Oops, I'm going to punch myself in the face. That's always a good start to the message. A couple quick things for you, just to celebrate. First of all, um, this is kind of a, a little commercial. Wednesday night here, 645, we are going to be having a one-night-only Digging Deeper class. It's only going to last about an hour, hour and a half, and the, the title of it is, is Parenting Adult Children. Um, not parenting adults who act like children. I don't want to talk about that. But parenting, uh, the stage of your parenting when uh, your children have grown up and now have left the house, or you want them to leave the house. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a fine line between those two sometimes. But, but, but we, and I'm going to tell you right now, right out of the gate, there are not, I'm not about to be able to stand up in front of anybody and give you a whole host of answers. It really is just an opportunity for us to get together. I'm going to walk through some resources that I have personally found helpful in that stage of my life, and and want to share that with you and answer some of your questions. So that's this coming Wednesday night. Secondly, let me give you something really good news. A few months ago now, um, we, were, we weren't complaining. We were celebrating and yet, com- like, what are we going to do um, about our nursery situation? Um, a few months ago, all of a sudden, we started having upwards of 30 babies showing up for first service in the nursery. So many jokes present itself right there. <laughs> You're all like, well, you know how it happens. Come on, settle down. So, um. So we were having space issues, and God presented a solution, and we were able to pursue that solution. And so uh, just last weekend, we were able to open up another room down here um, through some modifications. That room is for our our newborns and the not-yet-mobile, also known as the lazy children. Um, Just kidding. Uh, But that's that's available, uh, and I wanted to make sure we talked about how full our nursery was, and, and some of us... We're like, well, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, just gonna not put our child in, in nursery. That is available now, so I wanted to make sure that you knew that. And honestly, celebrate one of those those wins that God gave us along the way here. Um, sometimes things can get tricky. That's a great problem to have. Yeah, amen. And please don't mishear me. I am so excited. There is nothing better than hearing the 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 the, the movement and the goos and gaz and the occasional shout back from the little ones while I'm preaching. We love that in our service as well. So. We just want to make sure you understood that that was available for some of your children who really like to talk. Um, it's a great opportunity for them. Um, yeah, before I jump into this, just a, a moment of transparency. <laughs> um, I have no idea how I'm going to land the plane this morning. So just imagine, I used a plane illustration last weekend, okay, so I'm using it again. We are in the air. This baby's going to hit the ground eventually. I may find a way or the spirit may move and it may be graceful or we might just drop out of the sky. Uh, I'm just giving you that heads up before we jump in. Um, This has been a challenging passage to try to understand and to try to lay out in a way that makes sense. I am indebted to many, many other pastors and theologians, uh, others who have attacked this passage and attempted to preach this passage um, there, there are, I mean, the, I, the list goes on and on. I can't give any one full credit because I'm stealing from everybody today. So um, just follow along as best you can. If you have questions, as always, shoot me a, uh, an email and I'm happy to answer that. So, all right, let's, let's get a little more comfortable now. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 is where it starts, and it says this. 
For he has not subjected the angels to the angels, the world to come that we are talking about, but someone somewhere has testified. Just, just a little side thing. I love the fact that an author of Scripture is like, I read this verse once somewhere. I don't remember where. In case you're wondering, it's Psalm 8. That's what he's about to quote. What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. But we do see Jesus, made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Let me stop there for a moment. There's, there's a problem, and that's what the author is pointing out. He's saying, I know you all are familiar with this passage, even though I can't remember who said it and where it's found in Scripture, but you're all familiar with this. this you've made man a little lower than the angels, and, and, and you've crowned him with glory and honor, and you've subjected everything to mankind. You have put everything under his feet, but the author is saying that's Genesis 1, Genesis 2 type living, right? Everything is subject to humanity, but does anybody see a problem with the claim that everything has been subjected to humanity. Anybody have a cold this week? Don't raise your hand, that's still outlawed. I know, sorry. Anybody, anybody, anybody have a disease? Anybody have this incurable illness? Anybody wake up this morning and you're like, well, cool, my right leg hurts. Guess that's going to be a thing now. You slowly see that creation has not been subjected to mankind. In fact, that's what he says. He says, this is a problem. Look at verse 8. In subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. We don't yet see everything subjected to him. So, so what is happening in this passage? And our author says, here, let me help you. As you read the Old Testament, I need you to make sure you remember Jesus because he's the main character of the entire scripture. From beginning to end, it's about Jesus. So let me explain this to you. As you look at Psalm 8, actually the psalmist is giving us a, yes, mankind is made a little lower than the angels. Yep, and everything's going to be subject to mankind. However, there's a different interpretation to it as well, one that has already been fulfilled. Although you and I still wake up with the bumps and bruises and aches and pains of a, of a dying humanity, Jesus Christ himself has had everything made subject to him. He reads Psalm 8 and says this, although the world is on top of us, Jesus is on top of the world. He was made a little lower just for a short time, and by tasting and experiencing death, he has claimed his rightful place on the throne as king. Now, we've talked a lot about that for the last couple of weeks. We've talked about how Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than any prophet. Jesus is greater than any prophecy. Jesus is greater than all the angels. Jesus is the one who we are to worship. Jesus is the one who we are to, to adore. Jesus is the one who we are to offer our praise to. Jesus is king. And what we're going to find in our passage today, this is the first of, I think there's four that I landed on, first of four different things, titles, characters that we see Jesus fulfilling in his in his coming to rule, coming to reign. The very first one is the one we've already talked about. Jesus Christ is king, but here's the good news. He's not a king like every other king who sits up on his throne with his arms crossed looking down at like the peasants like, oh, I can't be bothered with the insignificant problems that they have today. I can't be bothered with these things. No, our king showed up. Let me keep reading. Verse 10 
from bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through him whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Instead saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, he says, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in those so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it's clear he doesn't reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. God showed up. This goes kind of contrary or opposite, not contrary, contrary is the wrong word, the opposite direction of everything we talked about in the last couple of weeks, where it's like Jesus is, is, is to be magnified and glorified. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He is the essence of all things that God is. He's the image of the invisible. And, we should, and then, then here, all of a sudden, the author says, okay, cool, that's all 100% true. And now, here's the other part. God became man. The angels peered down from heaven as Mary changed the diaper of the Son of God. The Son of God learned to walk. Jesus may have had pimples. He might have been tone deaf. Maybe he had had, had, uh, bony knees, or maybe he was bow-legged. But there's one thing that's absolutely sure that while completely divine, he was completely human. For 33 years, Jesus felt everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew tired. He got colds. He wrestled with the hiccups. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. His head ached. Now let's be really honest. We're way more comfortable thinking that Jesus never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. Way more comfortable with a Jesus who never endured those things. This is unusual that the king would leave his throne to serve his people. We like our king sitting on a throne where they rarely look down, but get this, our king didn't just look down, he came down, he got involved. He came as one of his creation so that he would taste death for everyone to become purely human. That comes up a number of times in the passage. Verse 11, for the one who sanctifies Jesus and those who are sanctified us, we all have one father, the same family. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus also shared in these. Jesus had flesh and blood. Verse 17, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. Not like he put on this facade. He was human. Why? Why did Jesus have to be human? Now, all of creation fell under the curse of sin. And every aspect of creation, humanity included, needs to be delivered from sin's curse. And in order for humanity to be saved, they need, this is what we need to do, we need to obey God perfectly where Adam sinned. But there's a problem, isn't there? Every single one of us 
is infected with Adam's sin. That's what Romans 3.23, or sorry, 3.10 says. There's none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of that glory of God. So, so looking for that, 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 that human who could perfectly fulfill the law of God, who, who can possibly do that? that and so we, we're at an impasse, aren't we? But God has a solution. God himself would take on the flesh of humanity in order to succeed where Adam failed. Romans 5 says this, though through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one, many will be made righteous. Jesus Christ came to die as our substitute. Jesus Christ came and shed his blood so that we could have the forgiveness of sin. Jesus came in the flesh. The king showed up, tasted death, and then took his rightful seat at the right hand of majesty for all of eternity. And so as you read this passage, you get a picture of the king showing up for us. But it's more than just a king. We also have a champion who leads the way. Look with me, verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist. I love that part, right? It was entirely appropriate. Entirely appropriate. It's so fitting that, that for a God that, that hates sin and loves people to act in this way. And then what way did he act? He, he would make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. So CSB uses the word pioneer or trailblazer. Some of your versions use the word champion. Others use the word hero. There's two aspects of this word, and, and both of them are appropriate, and both of them fit what is happening here, and I think we need to look at both of them. <clears throat> the first is this. Jesus Christ was our pioneer, our trailblazer. That word means the one who goes out in front of others so that they can follow. You ready? I don't know, dads, if you ever did this when you got a big old snowstorm and you got the little munchkins at home with you and you're going, we're going to go outside and play and you get them all suited up, which takes an hour and a half. And of course, after an hour and 20 minutes, they're like, I got to use the bathroom. And so you got to undo everything you did and restart all over again. You finally get inside to play in the snow, but the snow is knee deep. And to you, it's knee deep. It's a little difficult to navigate, right? But for a little dude, knee deep is forehead high. So the poor kid's like, Dad, I hate the snow. It's like, just follow me. And what Dad does is, at first, he tries the footprint thing, because we all think that's hilarious, actually. Just take the big old steps and be like, all right, kid, just jump in my footprints. And the poor kid's like, he's getting the snow in the face. It's not working. So what does Dad do? He trudges through the snow. He makes a way. All right, come on, bud. And now a little dude can make his way through the, through the snow. That's what pioneer means. Jesus came to make a way for us. You see that in the Old Testament. Kind of an unusual way. But you see that with the, the most famous story in Genesis, I believe, besides the flood. Joseph. <clears throat> Joseph, Joseph is, a, is a young man who is... Um, sent ahead to Egypt by his brothers, isn't he? What does Joseph do when he gets to Egypt? He becomes second in command, and obviously there's a lot of wiggles to that path, okay? But he gets to Egypt, and he begins to to accumulate provisions. He begins to take care of the rest of the country, and what God has done is sent Joseph to Egypt ahead of time so that when the famine hit, his family could come to Egypt, and Joseph could supply in great abundance for his family. Well, that's, that's what our pioneer, Jesus Christ, is doing for us right now. See, I tell you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
right now, our pioneer is in heaven preparing all of eternity for us. He has gone on ahead, and we can follow him. This word doesn't just mean pioneer, though. The second understanding of this word, I think it's an important understanding for us to grasp, is champion. Our champion. So, so in this time period, that word would be used for someone who engaged in representative combat. Basically, what that means is this. <laughs> when I was little, I had a little bit of a disagreement with a neighbor. My older sister was my champion. She was my representative in combat. We got kicked out of that yard forever. But I never had to lift a hand. It's the one who faces the enemy for you. It's, it's David. David shows up into a field where all of the Israelites are off of the battlefield. They refuse to take a step forward. In fact, they all keep shrinking away every time this giant appears ab- above the, the horizon. And he stands in front of all of Israel and continues to say over and over again, choose a man from among you who will fight me. And if they defeat me, we'll become your servants. But if I defeat them, you're our servants. And that happened day after day after day until finally young David says, I got this. And he stands before the giant and says, you will not disgrace my God. And he takes the sling and bam and hits the giant, okay? And then out of foolishness, we in 2023 are like, well, okay, let's be like David. That's us. We must face our giants. That's not you. You're one of the Israelites who's hiding behind the rocks when the giant shows up. You needed another to come and be your representative in combat. See, our great champion came and defeated death. How did he defeat death? He died. Frank, how does that mean he defeated death? He didn't stay dead. That's how. The tomb's empty. He conquered it, and now he shows us we no longer have to fear death death. I think that's really interesting that the author makes that, that, that application point here. That, that this is done so that in verse 14 that he might destroy the one holding the power of death that is the, the, the devil, verse 15, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Ask yourself this question. Do you fear death? Do you fear death? Uh, it, it, death can be terrifying. Um, Part of the reason is because in our understanding of death, separate from Scripture, death is the end. I mean, that's, that's just the end. And, and if you think like that, then there is this incredible pressure for you to experience everything you can right now. And, and, and if you miss out on something, you're bitter because there's an end date. There's, a, there's this end that is coming. You, you want to experience everything. And so you get desperate because this is your, your only shot. And, and so what haps, happens is as we see death approaching, which, which okay, eh, I'm almost 50. I can say this. Eh, it's the aging process. We face the, 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 the coming of death. We face the aging process with Botox. Or, or wearing clothing that nobody our age should be wearing. Or buying a red convertible. Right? Sometimes you're terrified of death because you fear the judgment of God. And so you start obsessing about appeasing him and wondering if you've done enough. Well, see, what Jesus did was remove all that fear. He's done enough. 
so you no longer have to face death with fear. Now death's power has been defeated, and he's taken that fear completely out of it. And I'm going to tell you, I, I have stood by way more graves than I ever want to stand by. And I've stood arm in arm with grieving families who understand that while they're sad, there's still hope. Because in Christ, they will see their loved one again, not as they were, but as God had created them to be. The pioneer of our salvation is leading us to the place that he's been preparing. The champion of our salvation provided the victory we needed to get there. We have a king who didn't just sit on his throne. We have a champion who leads the way. But then we also have this one. This one, this one took me by surprise this week. I almost skipped this one. We have a brother who is proud of us. Verse 11. The one who sanctifies those who are sanctified all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So, so in our, our Western culture, we can miss the power of what's happening in that verse. Um, so let's say you want to get a job. If you want to get a job, what you have to do is, besides the application, you've got to come up with a resume, right? And so you've got to make sure that on your resume you lay out your education, your experience, um, all of the things that would, would, would make you a, a primary um, um, prospective employee. You just want to make sure all these things are really good, and so you, you highlight your experience particularly. But in the ancient Near East, the resume placed the highest value on family and relationships. That's why when you read the Bible, there's so many genealogies. It's a big deal. And because the reason they do that is because they understand you're not just a product of yourself. You're a product of your family. And some of you in here are kind of young and you don't quite get that yet. But there is coming a day when suddenly you're going to look at your hands and be like, whoa! in my dad's hands, right? Or, or you're going to say something, and you're going to be like, oh, I know where that came from. It's in us. It's absolutely, it's absolutely in us. So the people at this day understood that we were a product of our family and our relationships, and so genealogies were a, a type of resume. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever left a job off of your resume? Maybe you want that four days at Burger King didn't work out the way you thought it was going to? Maybe. Maybe. No, for me, though, <laughs> for me, I worked at a garage as a teenager <laughs> for a week. I was trying to make enough money to go on a school trip. And I worked there for a week, and this will tell you a little bit about who I was back in the day, after I got in a really heated argument with the owner of the garage as a teenager, because I was very humble. Um, man, I walked away from that job faster than I could... I mean, just as fast as you could say my name. And I promise you, well, first things first, I didn't go on the trip from school, so I guess I'm a little bitter about that. I've got to deal with that. Um, but I promise you, when I applied at Uniontown Bible Church, that job was not on my resume. Right? <laughs> when you do your genealogy like a resume, you may leave off some people you might be a little embarrassed by. You know, it's my brother. He's a work in progress, but it's my brother. Think of why Jesus might be embarrassed of us. How many reasons have we given him? And yet it says that is why Jesus is not ashamed of us. No matter who you are, 
matter what you've done, no matter what anybody else says about you, whether it be your parents, your siblings, your coworkers, your friends, owners of gas stations, <laughs> whoever it is, what matters is what he says. And what he says, he's not ashamed of us. Struggle with that at all? Because I do. I mean, there, there were moments this week that I'm ashamed of. I can't imagine standing in the presence of the one who has made me holy by declaration and who is actively making me holy by sanctification and stand in front of him and, and, and hear him like, so what'd you do there? Oh. Do you feel like you lose more than you win? We have a brother in Jesus Christ who's not ashamed of us. Um, I'm, I'm surprising to probably only myself. Well, no, no, I take that back. Surprising to all of you. I'm the only one that's not surprised by this. Uh, I'm about done. So let me finish up here. You got more than just a king who sits on a throne. You got more than a pioneer who's left to prepare a place for you. You've got more than just a champion that's defeated your biggest enemy. You got more than just a brother that's not ashamed of you. Get this. You have a friend who is your high priest. Did you ever have a friend to get a really cool job that you got to get the benefits from? Uh, did you? I, I did. I had a friend who worked in a movie theater. Exactly. Now, I would pay at least every third time for the movie that I saw. But concessions were always on the house. I saved myself a college tuition payment because of that guy. <laughs> we have a friend who is our high priest. Now listen, high priest is going to come up. I can't even count how many times more in the book of Hebrews. Okay, So there are aspects of the, the office of high priest that I'm not even going to deal with this morning. I'll get plenty more opportunity to deal with it, I promise. Okay. But, but as the Jewish mind came to this passage in particular and heard we have this great high priest, when they heard the word high priest, they knew something. What they knew is that it was impossible for anybody to approach God directly. They always had to go through the priest. And so, so, so as, as, as a high priest, I mean, your responsibilities were pretty intense but, but I'm assuming, this is pure assumption, this is opinion, this is not recorded in Scripture anywhere other than you can see the lives of many of the high priests as they just completely fell apart. But I would assume that being a high priest didn't just bring with it a level of pressure and stress, but I think it probably brought a level of frustration and aggravation with the people too. Why do you keep doing this? Again, can you imagine having to bring your offering for your sin, your sacrifice for your sin to the temple all the time? You'd have to walk down the same street, and the same people live on the same street every time you walk by, and they've got to be like, there goes Sam again. wonder what he did this time, right? And, it's like, and, and, and you get the feeling, even as you get later into Hebrews chapter 9, chapter 10, you get a picture of the priest just constantly over and over and over and over and over again where we're bringing these sacrifices for sin, and our high priest feels none of that. 
He tells us, look. Verse 17, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Our high priest doesn't feel these things. Instead, we have a faithful and a merciful high priest. We have a a high priest who continues to show us mercy when we need it, and we desperately need it. And, And he can show us that mercy. He can show us that compassion because he can sympathize with us. He understands what it's like. John Calvin says this, it's a rare thing for those who are always happy to sympathize with the sorrows of others. It is a rare thing for those who are always happy to sympathize with the sorrows of others. You understand that, right? You work with that guy. You understand that woman in the office. Everything's wonderful. Everything's great. No, it's not. No, it's not. And and here, again, a little more transparency. I can be that person. You all know that. I love to laugh. There's moments when laughter isn't what's called for. See, Jesus was rejected, imprisoned, tortured. You go through his life and you see him experience everything that we experience. Why? So that he's able to help. That's what verse 18 says. He him, since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he was able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help. That, that word, able to help, means run to the aid of the one who is crying out for help. Run to the aid of the one who is crying out for help. Imagine a parent who hears his son or his daughter cry out, help me! Would they not drop everything to make their way to that child? I, personal experience. My, my son Jordan, the uh, church in Lansdale, had an elevator, a really weird elevator, um, and he and his mom were in the elevator. I was around the corner in the conference room with a whole mess of people, and all I heard was the voice of Jordan cry, help! And I went running out of that conference room because little man had put his hand on, on the door of the elevator and it slid open and his arm went with it. And Stephanie was standing in the elevator like, what is happening? And I'm running. And well, what I found out was when he cried for help, not only did I drop everything to run, I literally dropped everything. When I made my way back into the room that we were in, my stuff was everywhere. Trash cans were knocked over. Chairs were upside down. It looked like there had been a great battle in that room. And in fact, it was just me trying to get to my son who was crying out for help. That's what verse 18 is talking about. That's our great high priest. He runs to the aid of the one who cries out for help. He doesn't just sit back in his priestly robes and his priestly office waiting for you to clean yourself up enough to to come to him. No, no, he comes to you. And he comes without a voice of condemnation. He comes with compassion and he comes with understanding because he knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to cry. He knows what it's like to, to feel the loss of, that, that death brings when you lose somebody you love. He knows what it's like to experience betrayal and, and rejection by family and by the ones that you love. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back by close friends. He knows what it's like to have somebody reject you and walk away from you. He knows what it's like to love with everything you have and be utterly ignored. His suffering means we have somebody we can relate to. 
so what's the takeaway this morning? There's so many. There's so many. We have this king who showed up. We had this pioneer who, who, who trudged through the snow to pave the way for us and waits for us, a champion who purchased our victory so we can get there. We have a brother who's not ashamed of us but proud of us, and we have, we have a friend who's a high priest. Here's the takeaway. You don't have to do more. You don't have to do more. We need a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he's already done. So, so whatever it is in your life that one of those points resonated with, wherever the lack or the need is for you, there's not a new command for you today. It's not a new teaching. There's not this new exercise that will help you demonstrate supernatural willpower. It's not a new motivation. It's Jesus. <laughs> the picture of God's love for you and for me. It's Jesus. Let's look at him a little bit more. Father, thank you for the gift you've given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for each person here this morning. Thank you for their their walk with you. Lord, I know there are people here who are struggling and frustrated because they feel like they should be doing better. Lord, I pray instead they would find their identity in what Jesus has already done for them. God, please, I pray that you would open our eyes to the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that if there's somebody here this morning, even though I didn't specifically walk through the steps of the gospel that, that doesn't know Christ, that, that even in this moment they would recognize the fact that they are separated from God because of their sin. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, they can, they can have that relationship brought back. God, I pray that they might cry out even where they're sitting right now for their Savior, Jesus. The only true answer to what they're really struggling with. So then the rest of us, Lord, help us to understand Jesus is still the only answer to what we're struggling with. So God, remind us of what it is we have in Christ. Remind us of the preciousness of the gifts that you've given to us, these different relationships we can have with you. And remind us that every single one of them is a gift that has come directly from you because of your great love for us. Man, may I pray that we would leave this place overwhelmed with the love that God has demonstrated for us in sending us his son, Jesus Christ. Move among us. Holy Spirit, have your way. And as we close, I pray that you'd get the glory. It's in the matchless name of Jesus I do pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?